Welcome to the Pro-Life Team Podcast. I'm Jacob Barr, and I'm here today with Catherine Davis. Today, we're going to be doing something a little bit different than normal. We're going to be going through a series of questions while building a case or content for an exhibit at a new and upcoming museum on the history of abortion. And the first exhibit in this new museum is on the connection and sphere uh, or world surrounding race, racism, race, and abortion. And, and Catherine's going to be going through a set of questions, providing us with answers so that we can use this content collected in this podcast, along with other podcasts on the same topic, to build an exhibit on race and abortion. Um, let's see, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself differently this time because it might be for, actually, I might just use that first question and I'll introduce what we're doing. So then and we'll just dive right into it. Um, okay. All right. So, so Catherine, I'm excited to have you on the pro-life team podcast, which is, and this is going to be a new, this is a special new episode where we're going to be um, building content for a new abortion, a history on abortion museum. Um, and, and so we're essentially going to be going through a list of questions. And so instead of asking you to introduce yourself to a group of pregnancy clinic directors, I'm going to ask you <laughs> a different question because this is going to apply to a, a, a different and a broader audience. So tell me, uh, who are you? What's your background? And what led you to the subject of abortion? I am Catherine Davis, and I am the president and founder of the Restoration Project, which is a pro-life, pro-family, pro-education organization um, that today is focusing on the family and how do we bring the family back together in light of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Um, I am a mom, a grandmom. I actually have a great grandson. <laughs> all, all my grandchildren wow. are boys. I'm still trying to get my girl. Um, <laughs> and I live in Georgia and I educate. The, the Restoration Project does projects to educate about abortion and its impact in the Black community and on the Black family. What got me into the pro-life movement is the fact that I had two abortions myself. And I was like Scarlett O'Hara. I never dealt with it. I'll think about that tomorrow. I had put it on a shelf in my mind, never to be touched again. And I had moved to Richmond, Virginia, and joined this church there that was called Manna Christian Fellowship. And they had a program that they did on Tuesdays, and it was called Noondays. And they um, would have Bible studies. So instead of going to lunch to eat food, you went to church to eat the word. So on this particular Tuesday, I went into the Bible study all happy. Oh, I'm going to eat the word and got in. And that day it was about abortion. 
And I was like a deer in the headlights. I didn't know what to do because if I left, they would know I had an abortion. But if I stayed, they were certainly going to know that I had an abortion. So I just kind of slid into a chair and um, started crying because it was like the Lord was saying to me, today's the day, girlfriend. You got to deal with what you did. And so I thank God for the men of God who were leading that Bible study because one got on one side of me, the other got on the other side of me, and they began to pray for me because they recognized that I had had abortions and it was something I was dealing with. And it almost became a comedy show because I kept trying to leave. I kept saying, okay, thank you. And I tried to get up and they pushed me back down in the chair until they got to a place where they felt like, okay, she's going to be okay. We can let her go now. And at the end of that prayer, one of the uh, pastors, Bishop Wellington Boone, put a book in my hand, Grand Illusions, The Legacy of Planned Parenthood, told me, go read this book and then go do something about it. And that's how I got involved in the pro-life movement, because when I finished that book, I went to Virginia Right to Life and volunteered my services. That was in 1987. And I've been on the pro-life trail ever since. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing your backstory. <laughs> and wow, I'm excited to hear your other answers because that was a really good one. <laughs> so this is good. <laughs> um, so this next question is, are minorities in America mostly pro-choice? pro-life, undecided, other. And I think I think the intent is that, like, in your opinion, more so than, yeah. So what, you know, from your viewpoint, um, how would you answer this question? I can't speak for all minorities, but I can speak for the Black community since I am a Black woman. And I would say most Black women in America are pro-life. And that sounds almost oxymoronic since in light of the statistics, um, the lion's share of abortions performed in this country, about 40%, proportionally impact Black women more than other ethnicities. But um, the reality is if you were to talk to the average Black person around, that, walking down the street, they tell you that they are pro-life but they cannot tell a woman what to do with her body. And so while they'll say that they're pro-life, they also at the same time recognize the dogma that has been promoted over the years by the abortion industry, that it's a woman's right. So now you have a clash between civil rights and um, the right to life. Um, and But as a whole, I would say, the black community in particular is pro-life. Interesting. Yeah. So it's like a, it's like, yeah, it's pro pro-life, but then feeling yeah. handicapped to, to, to influence someone yes. else, I guess, or right. restricted, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Interesting. Yes. Um, yeah. Okay. And essentially the reason why I'm going just question to question uh, more so than doing a, you know, a half hour bit on one is because we're going to take these same interview, these same questions to other people who, um, 
we consider to be experts in the racism and abortion sphere. And, and then that way, when we get answers from each person, we'll be able to pair up, you know, one person's answer next to another in order to try and build out um, this museum exhibit. And so, so yeah, essentially to stay on task, I'm going to go to the next question. And so race and racism are politically charged ideas that candidates often use to drum up votes, motivate their base, and demonize political opponents. When race is, is combined with the topic of abortion, candidates can swing a lot of votes in their favor by saying the right thing about race and abortion. In your view, how can black voters avoid being taken for granted and stay principled enough to navigate through the rhetoric and manipulation? Um, you know, that's, a, that's an excellent question. Um, the, the, one of the problems that we face is that most Black voters don't know the truth about abortion in America, because what they get to hear day in and day out is that Black women need abortion um, because we are the primary group getting abortions. I mean, the abortion industry has targeted the Black community for so long that it is now a common belief that if abortion is in some way restricted, that Black people are going to lose something. They're going to lose a right. Um, so navigating through the rhetoric becomes difficult unless you give them the factual information um, and show them how abortion is not what they hear every day. It's not liberating. It's not lifting them out of poverty. It's not doing anything positive and in fact has been destructive. And that's what I tend to educate about is the truth about what abortion is and how it has impacted black women and black families. Oh, that's good. Yeah, one of the objectives of this museum is to show the reality or the truth, authentic, you know, the authentic truth of what abortion is. And then by laying out, um, well, both sides of the argument and then letting people have a full picture to, to you know, essentially to navigate from. Um, yeah. Okay. So the next question I've got is some claim that black people and pregnant black people, women in particular, sorry, some, some claim that black people and pregnant black women in particular typically receive unequal medical care. So pregnancy poses a higher risk for black women compared to other women. Is this true? And if so, would it help justify abortion choice policy? Well, you've kind of asked two questions in one. Is it true that Black women receive unequal medical care? The short answer to that is yes. Um, many times physicians don't listen to their patient to understand what's going on with her, or they don't properly apply the medical guidelines to Black women the same way they do to Caucasian women. So the short answer is yes. But at the same time, um, pregnancy in and of itself doesn't pose a higher risk uh, like they want us to believe. But because of 
the unequal treatment, you will find more Black women having incidences that contribute to uh, uh, a difficult pregnancy. Um, so it, it's kind of six in one, half dozen in the other, but the unequal medical treatment does result in some cases to Black women not getting the same level of medical care that they need during their pregnancy. Yeah. Okay. And this, does it justify and... abortion choice? I don't think so. I don't think it does justify it, but it certainly contributes to it. That makes sense. Um, so President Joe Biden on the campaign trail said, if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for Joe Biden or Donald Trump, then you ain't black. Now, Biden was the Democratic Democrat presidential candidate at the time and committed and a committed pro-choicer at the time. What do you think of this quote? Is it just poorly worded, a bad joke, or perhaps it's perpetrating the idea that Black people feel a sense of duty to support pro-choice candidates? Well, I think we have to go back and look at, do most Black people weigh their political choices or their political candidates against whether or not they are pro-life or pro-choice? And I would say the answer to that is no. They are weighing the candidates according to who they believe is going to meet the needs of their community, whether it's the Republican or the Democrat. Um, so it's not a question of pro-life versus pro-choice. It's a question of who do I think is going to do more in my community? Now, and that's a part of the smokescreen that the Democrats use to um, keep the black vote. They pretend that they're doing more to for uh, the black community than any other political group. That's not true. Clearly, we see that's not true. But their rhetoric is so strong that many black people believe it is true. So they vote for the Democrat because they believe the Democrats are going to give the black community resources and money that they need to elevate themselves. Yeah. So again, it's oxymoronic. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, And it wasn't just, a joke. Um... I mean, Joe Biden believed what he said. He believed that somehow black people voting for a Republican or Donald Trump was a betrayal of the race. And it's not, but so he wasn't joking. He actually believed that foolishness. Yeah. yeah. That's a good, a good, yeah, that's, I, I appreciate your thoughts on that. That makes sense. Um, so people have argued that abortion choice policy helps minorities achieve equality and overcome historic obstacles facing the black community. How is that supposed to work? Um, do you agree or disagree with that logic? Well, you're asking the wrong person how it's supposed to work because my mind is very logical and that defies logic. Um, so I, I, I don't know how that's supposed to work. And I wholeheartedly 
disagree with the notion that somehow an abortion is going to help us achieve equality, uh, particularly since the roots of abortion is an, a population control initiative designed to get rid of the Black community. Um, there's no way that we can uh, successfully say that we're going to achieve equality by killing our children in the womb. So um, um, people make that argument, but it's just not true. And I do whatever I um, can to, to uh, eliminate that mindset from our culture that somehow abortion is elevating the Black community or doing anything other than destroying the Black community. Yeah, and with these questions, I think our objective is going to be to ask, um, well, we have about four or five people in mind so far who are like on the pro-life side to, to respond. And then we're going to try and find people who may be on the pro-abortion side and see what they would say to these same questions. I think that's the intent that we're trying. We're going to try and do. So that's why some of these questions are worded in a way that may not make sense from, yeah, from the pro-life side. They're where they're somewhat relatively neutral in some ways. But um, okay. So the next question I have is, uh, what is eugenics, and is abortion choice policy aligned with eugenics? Eugenics is, is a term that um, suggests that some people can be born well and others can't. And um, meaning that hereditarily we pass on defective genes to one another um, physically, psychologically, morally, etc. Um, and so they want to limit the numbers of children that the people they consider to be dysgenic can have or do have. And it was birthed um, in the, out of the, uh, someone to say it was the Nazis, but eugenics were, were being practiced way before Hitler uh, began to do his deeds in, in Germany. Um, and it, it ties to abortion because the founder of Planned Parenthood and others in her day, there were numerous others like, um, uh, what is his name? Lothar, Lothar, somebody Goddard or something like that. I can't think of his name. Um, and others who were very prevalent in the 1920s, 1930s, and suggesting that certain groups of people should be uh, limited in freely reproducing. Um, and Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, was one of those people. And she, in fact, launched a project that she called the Negro Project, specifically designed to limit the births of Blacks in America um, and around the world, actually, because she went and hobnobbed with Hitler and the other groups. And in fact, if you go back and listen to the Nuremberg Trials, many of those that were tried basically said, but we learned it from America. We learned this practice from um, the United States. 
you know, and most of us don't know that, but that's what eugenics is. Let's not let the mentally defective, the black people, uh, anyone that they consider to be dysgenic, Puerto Ricans, um, let's not let them freely reproduce because they're reproducing defective people. Yeah. So you touched on this, but as a separate question, who, who is Margaret Sanger and what is the Negro Project? The Negro Project was a program that Margaret Sanger, who was the founder of Planned Parenthood, um, she, well, they weren't Planned Parenthood back then. It was called the Birth Control League and later changed their name to Planned Parenthood. But she uh, developed this project in conjunction with a man named C.J. Gamble. And the two of them decided that they were going to recruit Black ministers to go into the Black community and teach and preach birth control, essentially, um, from the pulpit in order to limit the number of Blacks being born in the United States. And so um, she launched that pregnant, pregnant, that program in 1939, and they got ministers and other leaders of influence like W.E.B. Du Bois to go into the Black community and say, it's okay for you not to have children, um, and we're going to help you by advocating for and promoting birth control even though both birth control was illegal back then, but that's what they were advocating for was birth control. And I want to do one follow-up question, which is not on the paper or planned list, which is what are your thoughts on using black pastors or black, probably pastors? um, What, what, how do you, what is, what is your response to that idea in that tactic? Well, she was successful because if you look at uh, churches across the country today, we have a senator who is sitting right now in the United States Senate who is the pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church, which was Martin Luther King's home church, who is promoting abortion from his pulpit. Um, So they succeeded because they understood that the pastor is a leader who can influence the community for good, for bad, whatever. Um, So they did succeed, which is why uh, the National Black Pro-Life Coalition, which I'm a founding member of, tends to go back to those churches, to the church to say, teach the word of God, teach what God says about life and, and, um, rebuke, if you will, the messaging that abortion is okay, abortion is acceptable. Um, So yeah, but they were effective and now we are working to reverse that. Yeah, for for me, I just feel like it's this very dark, creative, evil, strategic decision. And what was successful, it's just, it's it's just like, yeah, I, I yeah, it felt I felt like they found a new a new darker dark evil because it's just you know it's using something yeah. that was designed for God 
for a you know for um a different purpose you know an evil purpose yeah that's right just, yeah right that's right so all right my next question is abortion is sometimes compared oh wait that's the uh, actually i probably have to rewrite this because here we are it says abortion is sometimes compared to slavery question mark maybe it maybe it um i'm not sure yeah I go. Well, so maybe we should rewrite that question before we answer it. Because <laughs> so, it's not, it's written as a statement. Just put a comma. Uh, well, I guess I can, just all right, put a yeah. comma. I'll put a comma on it. That sounds good. Put all a right. comma. So yeah, abortion yeah. is sometimes yeah. compared to slavery. Is this a fair slash valid comparison? Please explain. It is. It is. If you look at what happened in our country with slavery, there was a case called the Dred Scott case. And now, do I want to say Dred Scott or Plessy versus Ferguson? I'm sorry, Plessy versus Ferguson case that went before the Supreme Court, where the Supreme Court said that Black people were not persons, that they were property, therefore they could not be citizens and would not be entitled to the same rights as every other American that was in the country at the time. Abortion, when, when the Supreme Court decided on abortion, they did the very same thing to the baby in the womb. They said the baby was not a person that was entitled to protection under the Constitution. Therefore, um, you could terminate a pregnancy um, because the child was not a person. And in fact, if you go and read the history of the Roe v. Wade case, one of the justices asked that question directly of Sarah Weddington, who was the attorney arguing for abortion. And they said, if the baby is a person, isn't that baby entitled to 14th Amendment protection? And she had to answer yes, that it, that it was. So that very principle that the court used in the Plessy case that the, the Black community in America were not people, they were not persons, is the same principle that undergirded abortion in America. So it's, it is a valid question, and it's, it's a fair comparison. Yeah, I think a lot hinges on personhood and and yeah, those yeah. in the womb, their yeah, their future sort of hinges on this person, you know, personhood being recognized. Yeah. Right, sense. right. Um, is race-based abortion legal in the United States? Clearly, it is. <laughs> you know, Planned like, Parenthood. Um, well, let, me, let me uh rephrase the question a little bit so um okay. so like sometimes people like in china people will often um find because of the two-child policy or before when it was a well based on the limited number of children someone's allowed to have they will often if they have a sonogram and find out it's a girl they may have an abortion because they want to pass on their family name and then they choose abortion until they have a boy or in India, when someone finds out they're having a girl, they, they, um, they might choose abortion because when, when a daughter gets married, they have to pay a dowry 
And if they have a boy, it's sort of like the family wins or gets a dowry or a large amount, you know, a, a sum of money. Whereas if you have a girl, you're paying a dowry. And that's been an impact in India. So yeah, here in the US, if someone, you know, with the, and, and this doesn't require an ultrasound to find out if, you know, what the race of the child will be. But yeah, so if someone decides to choose abortion based on race, you know, based on that information i guess it's not it's not hidden like the gender or sex of a child but yeah is it legal to yeah for um for someone to choose based off of um the, yeah the color of their skin in the us and again i'm going to say yes and i'll give you a specific example there's a case here in georgia there was a young caucasian girl who got pregnant by a black man her mother told her, you're not going to bring a little black so-and-so into my house. So she took her to one of the abortionists in Augusta, Georgia. And she told the abortionist, I'm not going to let her bring a little black so-and-so in my house. The young lady, on the other hand, told the abortionist and anyone who would listen to her, I don't want an abortion. I want my baby. But they killed her baby anyway. And she testified to that before our uh, uh, legislature here in Georgia. Um, it's also testimony that has gone before Congress before of other examples of women telling an abortionist, I want my baby, but they push them down and take the, the life of the child anyway. There's no consequence to an abortionist who would do that. A second example, real quick, was of an abortionist in North Carolina. He had um, been denied hospital privileges because he had injured so many women um, in the course of being an OBGYN that the hospitals in Charlotte would not let him practice. So he became uh, an abortionist. And Operation Rescue went to his home and confronted him to say, let the babies live. And his response was, who's going to take care of those little black so-and-sos um, um, if I don't do these abortions? So he was doing abortions because he said black children were going to end up on the government dole. That was clearly a race-based uh, abortionist. And again, there were no consequences to him even though he very clearly stated that his purpose was to abort ch black children to keep them off of the government dole. Is, is abortion- I know, that's a little hard to swallow. Yeah, well, it's, it's hard because um, it's just, it, it, it's just devastating and it's sad and it's, uh, and it's full of just, mm -hmm. um, it's just hard. It, it's it's hard. It's and it's hard because it's just yeah. It's full of tears and uh, and it's 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 just um yeah. It's full of hate. That's what it is. Abortionists that do that. That's yeah. It's, it's it's so um yes. evil. Um, is is abortion more common among minorities? You think? Uh, I would say yes, given that. Only three to four percent of the black community at any given point in time 
are women of childbearing age. And yet the CDC reports that at least 38% of those abortions are on Black women. So you're talking about 3% versus 38%. And that is not all of the abortions because all of the states don't report to the CDC their numbers by race, like California, Florida, Illinois. They don't report the numbers of abortions um, that they're doing by race. So I would submit that number's probably higher. Um, and because of that, it is disproportionately impacting the Black community. So it is more common, I would say, um, if you're comparing ethnicities um, to find that Black women are, are leading the charge, so to speak. And I believe it's because they're being targeted through the Negro project that is ongoing today. Yeah, and I would agree with that. That makes sense to me as well. And it, it feels, yeah, that the numbers don't reflect um, even-handedness when it comes to the, the abortion, yeah, who, who the abortion groups are providing services to. It, it's not, it's not a, it's not a level um, distribution something along those lines um right has has abortion oh your video might have just cut out let's see no i'm um, still there or on my screen I'm oh but you're there. yeah um let's see oh let's see uh recording continues oh i see we might be fine it's still recording it's just um yeah, okay it, it, it's good yeah it, it, it'll upload at the end okay so is abortion more common? Oh, I just did that one. Sorry. Has um, has abortion choice policy been overall more helpful or harmful for black people and black families? Um, it's it's hard to say that it's more helpful or harmful based on skin color because it's harmful for everybody without regard to what color your skin is, but the impact has been greater, yes, because we now have a healthcare crisis in the black community that is directly connected to abortion. For example, there's been hundreds of studies that document that there's a link between premature birth rates and abortion. And in the black community, we have an extreme premature birth rate, which means that our wombs are no longer strong enough to carry our child um, until they can live outside the womb on their own. Um, so we are miscarrying at earlier uh, stages of pregnancy um, so that the, there's no way the child can survive three months, four months, five months. We have an extreme premature birth rate today. There is a direct link between abortion and breast cancer. There's been hundreds of studies from around the world, including China, that document that link. However, in the United States, we rarely, if ever, talk about that link and or uh, it will be denied by the CDC, the American Cancer Society and others that there is a link, but that doesn't refute all of the studies. In the Black community, what the 
National Institute of Health and the American Cancer Society and others will tell you is that black, when black women get breast cancer, uh, they are more likely than less likely going to die from that breast cancer. So it, it impacts us more severely. We tend to get the more insidious kind of breast cancer, like triple negative breast cancer or inflammatory breast disease. So there has been uh, a harmful impact of abortion policy, particularly as the abortion industry moves to make sure that abortion can be unrestricted. Um, we have deaths happening in the Black community from abortion, um, like Tanya Reeves in Chicago or Cree Irwin in Michigan. Um, there are horror stories about these women who are being adversely impacted, but we don't talk about that. The suicide rate among Black teens is through the roof. And one of the contributing factors to suicide has been abortion. It's been connected. There are studies that document that, and yet we don't talk about that. So the overall impact to Black families has been devastating because we're not only losing the people who are being aborted uh, uh, in the womb, but in, in far too many instances, the moms are being impacted as well. Thank Something you for happened that. and went away. Oh, it's probably just um, maybe not showing it based on bandwidth, but it's still recording it. It'll upload in the end. Oh. Um, that okay. was a really good okay. answer. Thank you for spending time to really yeah, answer that well. That was good. Um, so some people argue that unequal outcomes prove that a policy slash practice is institutionally racist. In other words, if a policy hurts or helps one race slash ethnicity more than another, more than others, then that policy is racist. Along this train of thought, is abortion choice policy an example of institutional racism? I'm going to say yes for a completely different reason. Uh, in my previous life, I was a human resources professional. I worked for Fortune 500 companies, um, the state of uh, uh, Georgia, the Commonwealth of Virginia, and one of the measures that we would use to see if a policy that was being implemented by the company or by the state was having an adverse impact was this thing called the 80% rule. And so you did this mathematical formula to see how many people were being impacted by a specific policy um, like skin color um, and if it didn't meet the 80% rule, it was an, a strong indication that the policy was having an adverse impact or was quote unquote racist. Um, and we can absolutely prove um, that abortion in America uh, uh, has an adverse impact on the black community. Um, it's, it's just so well documented um, and by virtue of the fact that organizations like Planned Parenthood have located more than 80% of their abortion facilities 
within a two-mile walking radius of a Black or Latino neighborhood uh, is just one of those indicators that it is uh, abortion as they are implementing it is having a racist impact. In addition to that, I don't know if people know, but in 2020, Planned Parenthood admitted that they are a systemically racist, white supremacist organization. Um, Their words, not mine. Um, And so when you take that into consideration, you have to say that even they recognize that the way they're doing business has had an adverse impact on the Black community. And they openly told us without repercussion. If we wanted to find a citation for, you know, a record of what, you know, of them saying that, what, what might we search for to find that citation? Just Google. Um, it, it was during the time, it was June of 2020, when there was a big uproar about the Planned Parenthood in New York and 300 of their employees wrote an open letter declaring that Planned Parenthood had been operating in a racist fashion. Um, And it was around the time that they decided to take Margaret Sanger's name off of their building, the flagship Planned Parenthood in New York. If you start with that, then you can um, um, find that information as well as many of their affiliates around the country also acknowledged that how they were doing their business in whatever state they were in, um, um, that it was racist and systemically racist and white supremacist. It's easy to find. It's not hidden. Yep. No, that's but if you want to... to, you can get the links from it. Yeah. I, um, I, I... Yeah, I probably won't include the answer, but I just wanted to know where to look for it so that I could, yeah, we could we could add that as a citation. Um, we'll probably be able to find a news story on I'll it. I'll just so that we send you. Cite. Oh, perfect. I'll <laughs> yeah, send you, send you a couple link. of links. I'll That's good. That's good. I will. I will. Um, okay. Let's see. Next question. <laughs> so, so some people, let me start that one over. Uh, some people call abortion in America a black genocide. Is this overstating slash misrepresenting the case? Absolutely not. It is a genocide. We are no longer having enough children to reproduce ourselves. In order for Blacks to remain um, somewhere between 12 and 14% of the population is what they report we are today. Every Black woman of childbearing age would have to have 2.1 children. We are today having one point, I believe it's 1.6 today, and the Caucasian community is having 1.8. So it is a genocide. Yeah. Yeah. What are your, how do you, if you, you know, let me me back up one second. Expand a little bit. Yeah. Tell me more about your thoughts on the phrase black genocide. Tell me more about that. If you look up, the definition of genocide as it was defined by uh, the Nuremberg trials. They gave a very specific definition of what you would uh, call a genocide. 
And a part of that definition talked about taking measures to um, eliminate or control one or more ethnicities, right? So if you look at the definition and then you measure what has been done by Planned Parenthood, NARAL, and other organizations across America, you will see that we meet that definition of genocide, very easily meet it. So not just saying about the replacement rate, but according to the definition of what a genocide is. That, that makes sense. Um, from what you understand, was Martin Luther King Jr. pro-life, pro-choice, or something else? Um, considering that I didn't know the man personally, it's kind of difficult for me to answer that. However, I do know his niece, Dr. Alveda King, and she has reportedly stated that not only was he pro-life, but their entire family was pro-life, um, um, according to her. And I have no reason to doubt that she's telling the truth about her family. Um, that he would have been very much on the pro-life spectrum to, had he lived to be to see life today. And actually, I plan on uh, I've invited uh, Dr. Alvita King to also ask these same questions to her, and so yeah, that'll be a good one for her to speak to. Um, yeah. Okay. So, so some people argue that abortion choice helps reduce inequalities for underprivileged people. Does abortion reduce poverty slash inequality slash injustice? I don't see how. <laughs> um, you know, it's really sad because when most people think of the Black community in particular, we tend to be thought of as being poor, um, uh, underprivileged, needing some support from someone. But if you look at the actual numbers of Black people who are in poverty, um, you will find that only 22% of those who are in poverty are Black. 78% um, of us are not in poverty. Um, and abortion has done nothing to equalize the injustices to, to diminish poverty um, amongst Black people. It has done nothing except eliminate us from the culture. Um, and in fact, abortion in itself is unjust because it has been used as a tool to control the Black birth rate openly. Um, um, and they are succeeding in, in diminishing the number of Black people um, that are being born today. And in communities like New York City, more Black babies are aborted than are born alive. So I don't see how that's done anything to bring about equality or to diminish poverty. So that's just an uh, uh, untrue statement. Yep, thank you for answering that. Um, so abortion clinics uh, predominate in Black slash minority communities. What does this say about the abortion industry? 
that says that the abortion industry is exactly who they said they are. Planned Parenthood is the leading abortion provider in this nation, and they have told us openly, as we discussed before, that they are a white supremacist uh, organization that is systemically racist. Um, um, and they have deliberately placed their, their abortion facilities within a two-mile walking radius of a Black or Latino community. And in fact, in a, in a creative loafing article here in the metro Atlanta area a few years ago, Planned Parenthood had put a new center on Moreland Avenue. And if anyone's ever been to Atlanta, you will know that Moreland Avenue is in the heart of the Black Atlanta community. And they, when asked the question, how did they determine where to put that new clinic, they told you that they went to the Rollins School of Public Health and gave them their specific criteria, and they used that criteria to identify the best location. Well, the best location was right off of 20, Highway 20, um, in the heart of the Black community. So at some point, I'm going to ask the Rollins School of, uh, <laughs> what criteria they were given, because I believe it will show that they specifically gave criteria that would cause them to choose a community where they were going to reach the lion's share of Black people. Yeah, that makes sense. That would be a good report to to ask for. They might not provide it, or maybe they don't have it anymore. But that would be really good to inquire about. Um, some people yeah. claim. <clears throat> so yeah, so some people claim that the biggest problem black fam the the black the, sorry, <laughs> sorry I'm tongue tied. Let me stretch that one over. Some people claim that the biggest okay. problem black families face is absent fathers. Others say that's a myth or that the bigger underlying problem is corruption slash racism in the justice system. More specifically, the justice system is targeting black men to pull them away from their families and put them in jail, effectively creating the new Jim Crow. Who's telling the truth here and how does this impact abortion rates in black homes? I think both of those things are true. Um, and we have to look at what, how, how did we get here? There was a concerted effort to remove not just black dads, but men from out of the family. In fact, if you go back and look at some of the organizational information for the National Organization of Women, they said very clearly that their goal was to destroy the American family by destroying the American patriarch. And they were going to destroy the American patriarch by destroying his power through destroying monogamy, <laughs> through homosexuality, eroticism, prostitution, and promiscuity. So the National Organization of Women deliberately sent men into our communities to get the fathers out of the home. In the Black community, the government assisted in that effort by uh, sending 100,000 social workers into the Black community to deal with what they called the two prouds. 
And the two prouds were the dads who were saying, we don't need government assistance. We can take care of families ourselves. And so if you look at welfare policy in just about every state in the union, they said you couldn't have a man in the home in order to get government assistance. So you had a perfect storm, if you will, that collided with President Nixon's population control agenda, where his Council on Population recommended zero population growth. And he basically said that abortion policy in America would allow the little black bastards, his words, not mine, to be aborted. So this perfect storm collided um, and came together at the same time in the late 60s and early 70s. And we launched a a program to um, destroy the family while controlling the birth rates of those that we consider dysgenic. And yes, if you go back in history and look at the incarceration policies uh, that have been implemented in this nation, you will see that that um, consequences applied to the Black community were greater for the same crime than the white community. So we ended up with more Black men being incarcerated um, for the very same crimes that their Caucasian counterparts may have committed as well. So both are true. And, and this, the racism of the abortion industry coupled with the eugenic population control efforts as well as the criminal justice efforts all came together in what you could call a perfect storm that destroyed the family, and that was especially true in the Black community. Wow, another thank you for all these really thoughtful answers. These are, yeah, I can tell you really know, know you know, I'm, I'm really glad you're on the, <laughs> on the podcast and sharing this, and I'm really excited to see this get paired up uh, into this new exhibit um, to, yeah, to essentially help inform people of, of really the state of abortion and racism. This is um, so Black Lives Matter, BLM, has raised mixed feelings among Black people in America. We can all grant that racism still exists, and there is plenty of work still to be done to heal racial animosity, to hold authorities accountable, like police, courts, etc., and to address other race-based problems in America. Nevertheless, BLM has also aligned with certain progressive and left-wing political causes, including abortion choice policy and dismantling the Western nuclear family. What exactly is BLM? And what are your thoughts on BLM in relation to family and abortion policy? <laughs> You're trying to get me in trouble. <laughs> Well, you don't have to matter. answer. If you, want to, if you want to skip one, that's no, all the option. No, it's okay. <laughs> black Lives Matter was never about the Black community, other than to continue the destructive forces that have been um, pointed towards the Black community for decades now. 
It was never about equality or justice or any of those things. And actually, if you look at what happened uh, immediately following George Floyd's death, um, it was mostly white people who were going into black neighborhoods in the name of Black Lives Matter and, and destroying neighborhoods and communities. It wasn't black people doing that. Um, Black Lives Matter was definitively against all of the values that you typically hear attributed to the Black community. They were anti-family. The organization was headed by lesbians who raised multiple billions of dollars in the name of Black lives, but spent not one cent of that money on on improving Black lives in any community anywhere in the country. They enriched themselves and they allowed other organizations like Antifa to use their names um, to wreak havoc and destruction, but there was never a positive outcome related to Black Lives Matter. It was... uh, uh, an organization that was used to promote a, a extremely liberal political narrative in the name of the Black community, but it had nothing to do with Black lives, nothing. I can't point to one thing, and I hope somebody one day will tell me one positive thing that came out of Black Lives Matter. Yeah, thank you, French. That's, yeah. That makes sense. In your opinion, what's the biggest misconception that minorities tend to believe about abortion? Jacob, are you there? Oh, are you there, Catherine? Jacob, there you are. Oh, there you are. Okay, you're back. Okay, I'll do that one one more time. In your opinion, what's the biggest misconception that minorities tend to believe about abortion? That abortion is a civil right. Um, The abortion industry spent billions of dollars promoting a narrative that somehow abortion was a civil right akin to um, equal employment or equal opportunity housing or any of the other truly uh, uh, realistic civil rights that was so um, strongly and hard fought for in the 60s. Um, um, And it's not. It is not a civil right. It is, if anything, a civil wrong that has uh, lent itself to the destruction of the very community that it claims it is providing a right to. Um, And I think that's the biggest hurdle that uh, pro-lifers have to help overcome is this misconception that somehow abortion is helping the black community rather than harming the black community. Yeah, thank you for that too. Yeah, these are such good answers. Um, what would you like to say about racism and abortion that you were not asked about? 
Alan Guttmacher. You know, we talk a lot about Margaret Sanger and the Negro Project, but we rarely, if ever, talk about Alan Guttmacher and his leadership of the Planned Parenthood organization when Margaret Sanger died. But Alan Guttmacher was the father of abortion on demand in America. It was under his leadership that the Comstock laws were eliminated in our country. It used to be illegal for a doctor to prescribe birth control um, um, because it was considered immoral. And Guttmacher had uh, one of his medical directors of the Planned Parenthood in New Haven, Connecticut, which I happen to be from Connecticut. Um, um, he had Estelle Griswold to have her medical director distribute birth control to married women. And um, so they did that, and the case ended up making its way to the Supreme Court. And that was the very first time that the court began to define a woman's right to privacy in her womb was that she had a right to decide on birth control. Um, and then seven years after the Griswold v. Connecticut case, in 1972, there was a second case called Eisenstadt v. Baird. And in that case, the Supreme Court said single women had a privacy right to abortion, uh, to, I'm sorry, to birth control, a privacy right in her womb. And then the very next year, they used those cases to, in 1973, do Roe v. Wade based on this constitutional right to privacy that actually is not in the Constitution, but they use that, and Alan Guttmacher was the author of that initiative. In addition, he single-handedly redefined health to include a woman's psychological health, so that if a woman said she was stressed out by being pregnant or afraid, um, because she was pregnant, then she could then use that that excuse to terminate her pregnancy. Um, and I think it's very important that we recognize for years, Planned Parenthood denied that Margaret Sanger was pro-abortion. I happen to believe that that probably was true. Um, she was pro-birth control, but you didn't have a lot of information or writings of hers that specifically identify abortion as a tool or an instrument to carry out her eugenic agenda. But you did have that with Alan Guttmacher. I mean, there's evidence he went into a, a ward because back then we still had segregation and saw all these Black women having babies, and he decided, yeah, we have to be able to do something about this because they're having way too many babies. Um, and I think people need to understand that. The Guttmacher Institute is a statistical arm of Planned Parenthood, but they also were, Guttmacher was the leader that led us into the era of abortion as we understood it under Roe v. Wade. And so I think it's very important that we give credit where credit is due and recognize how evil a man he was and how much harm he has done to our nation.
Well said. Um, well, well, Catherine, I have really enjoyed yeah, talking to you again and hearing these very intelligent and, well, yeah, just incredible answers to difficult questions. I, in my opinion, these are, these are hard questions to answer, complex questions. And so thank you for uh, taking these on. Um, would you, um, to wrap this up, would you say a prayer? And just we can close in a prayer. This won't be part of the museum piece, but just for the people who listen to the podcast, they can um, listen to this sure. prayer at the end. Sure. Father, we just come before your throne in thanksgiving. You are awesome and amazing, and you order our steps. And how awesome is this, that you ordered our steps to come together today to talk about this issue that has wreaked so much evil and havoc in our communities but um, you've given us this opportunity to discuss it and discuss it openly and in a way that may change someone's mind. Father, we pray that those who listen to this podcast will find some ammunition that they can use to dissuade a woman from taking the life of her child in, in the womb. We pray that you would multiply, Lord, uh, our efforts and that this message would get out far and wide so that people understand the real evil that abortion is and that they will yield themselves not to the evil one but to you and we can come together to end this scourge the greatest crime against humanity in our nation once and for all we thank you for this time and we give you all the praise glory and honor in jesus name we pray amen amen Shepherd, I shall not be in want. I shall not be alone. He makes me lie down in green. He leads me by quiet blue. Yeah, the walk through darkest valleys, you are near me. Your protection and guidance are comforting me. Fresh and restore 
Our sponsors include Heritage House, Patriot Insurance, and iRapture.com. The Pro-Life Team Podcast is a ministry of iRapture.com. If you would like to explore making a donation or becoming a sponsor or have a recommendation for who would be a good guest on the podcast, please contact us at hello at prolife.team.